0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows,
1: visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
2: Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode.
1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We get calls on the show about local wildlife getting injured. The caller is usually not sure what to do or how to assist the animals. Mostly, we recommend that they call an expert. So today on the show, we have one. We welcome one of the experts. It's Melissa Gilbert, founder and director of North Mississippi Mammal Rehab. She'll share with us how you can assess a situation to know whether wildlife rehabber is needed and how you can find one when the time calls for it. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. A reminder that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning, Libby. Hope you're doing well. What have you been seeing in your yard lately? Good
3: morning. Oh, I've got to mention the moon. (laughs) I don't know how many people have been watching the moon. Um, A caller can correct me if I'm wrong, but somebody told me it's called the beaver moon. Okay. I guess the beavers, it was bright enough for them to go to work (laughs) for sure. They could could work all the time. And um, I couldn't decide which way it was more beautiful. On those clear nights, it was Gorgeous, and then, on the cloudy nights, um I thought it was just as pretty. it would come and go, and um anyway it's I love moon shadows in the yard, mm-hmm. so i um, spend a little time under the um live oaks in our yard, where you get particularly great moon shadows, so that was fun and um, the great horn owls must have been enjoying it too, so they were pretty loud I've got a great blue heron that um, has been on our pond, I guess, gosh, the last month, pretty much. You know, I'm assuming it's the same one. There's one pretty much every day. And um, he's gotten used to me walking around the pond enough that um, he or she, they uh, uh, don't fly as quick. So I get to watch their pursuit of food. The pond, of course, everybody knows, I guess we still need rain in central Mississippi. And uh, the pond is maybe half capacity right now, but it's got water and it must have food because the great blue heron seems to be having fun. I notice a few turtles and snakes around it, but not a lot. So I've worried a little bit about what's going on under the water, but I'm pleased every day to see the great blue heron there. And um, I got maybe a warning for people. Uh, You know, we've tossed talked about bees and wasps and our pollinators and how important they are to our ecosystems. One of the things that female wasps have to do this time of year is find a good place to overwinter, find a place where they can uh, wait out the cold weather until they can start their new little nest. Uh, So all these queens are looking for places. Well, I happened to find one, And um, I was in the attic getting out Christmas decorations, playing with things, and grabbed a sack too fast and got a pretty painful sting um, uh, right on my left ring finger and uh, proceeded to watch my old hand swell up. Mm. So she got me pretty good, evidently, and um, (laughs) unfortunately— Uh, I did go ahead and do her in because I knew she could sting me again. And I was a little mad at the time, but I hope her sisters are doing well somewhere else. But um took care of that one. But it reminded me that um, we probably all need to watch a little bit. If we're going through an area, you know, wood piles and sheds and those kind of places are, are common for the wasps. But uh, they usually, if you get in my house in the spring, when they start emerging, we'll find some. And there were a couple years where we found a lot upstairs just outside of the attic. So they're finding their way through. Paul assures me that he's closed up most of those holes now in the attic. But anyway, that's something to watch out for, those um, Wasps are just doing what they're supposed to do, and um, hopefully most of them will find a a place to hide that um, is not going to interfere with human activity.
1: Both the humans and the wasps probably like it that way.
3: But this bag of Christmas lights was right where she wanted to be, evidently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Talking about the moon, one thing I remember from – I think it was an astronomy class at Southern when I was at uh, USM – was we had a project where you had to go every day and try to find the moon. And I, did, I guess at the time I didn't realize that the moon can be seen during the day, not just at night. Uh, so that was a fun thing, although I, I must admit I did fudge a little bit and say, yeah, I looked for it yesterday at 2 o'clock and I didn't see it. <laughs> but it's interesting because, you know, the funny things that sort of stick with you from your, your learning days. But that was one thing that I always thought was kind of cool. And I'm like – Hey, it is. That's the daytime, and we can still see the moon. So that's
3: a great assignment for a teacher to do. Yeah, it yeah.
1: was like every day you could pick a different time, and you know, uh, and um, and just make a journal of did you see the moon, and if you did, where was it? That sort of thing. So
3: in another life, I guess I taught um, Earth space science for um, seventh and eighth graders. <clears throat> was a lot of fun. I like. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. I like a lot of I like to deal with middle school kids, but that amazed me that some kids had no idea that the moon moved, you know, so it, it mm-hmm. opened up all kinds of great conversations, but I didn't think of that. That would have been a wonderful assignment for have them, have them look for the moon every day for a month or something.
1: All right, so if there's any middle school mm-hmm. science teachers out there listening, Libby and I give you permission to use that in your classroom. Yeah,
3: that sounds like <laughs> a great idea. We might tell our callers that would be a (laughs) wonderful thing for all of us to do maybe is to just I pretty much know where the moon's going to come up on our place just from years of living there you know where how it moves and where it goes but um in in a new spot uh you've got to look for it Mm -hmm. kind of have to find it
1: uh, Dr. Troy Major joins us from his clinic in Jackson, as he does each Thursday. Good morning, Dr. Major. What I'd like to start out with, and we chatted a bit uh, on the phone before we came on the air, uh, this mysterious respiratory illness that is affecting dogs across the country. What, what can you tell us about it?
0: Right, and it is mysterious. Uh, basically, what I've been able to learn, they're calling the researchers are calling it a, a bacterial type infection uh, mimicking, uh, kennel cough, if you will, uh, which is usually has been past caused by a strain of Bordetella bacteria plus a virus. So I guess the question is, you know, is this a new one or is it just something that's mutated? Uh, we don't know at the present, but it can become more serious, uh, than just a typical kennel cough. Uh, Respiratory, Uh, they recommend not uh, getting in crowds of dogs like a dog park, uh, kennel situation where you have dogs uh, grouped together. And certainly this would apply to shelters as well where you've got a large number of dogs and certainly you would try to keep that um, as sanitized as possible. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize is cleanliness just like with us, you know, clean water bowls, um, especially if you have numbers of dogs or this sort of thing. And it's, it's still in a mystery stage. There is no vaccine for it. Uh, they have treated with some results, um, some good results using, I believe, doxycycline. But uh, it's still a mystery. And it apparently uh, started on what the West Coast, Oregon, Uh, in that area but it's also been reported on the east coast as well so we travel with our dogs so much that just like with people with uh, certain diseases easy spread from dog to dog and with the travel certainly
1: yeah, the uh, the article I found said that uh, confirmed cases were in California, Colorado, Oregon, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts, but also cases reported in Florida, Idaho, Indiana, Illinois, and Georgia. So you're right, this is not something that anybody in the country can sort of avoid at this point. It seems like it's affecting uh, dogs in all parts of the country. Uh, While this is going on, would you recommend that perhaps uh, if uh, a a dog owner sees the symptoms of a cough, fever, and lethargy, that maybe, um, in this case, go to the vet a little quicker than they might uh, if this were not around?
0: Right. It it needs to be examined, treated, uh, and until we know more about the disease, uh, there's not a good diagnostic test uh, for it, and there may be one. In the near future, I guess the point is try to avoid direct contact with other dogs that you don't know, um, or dogs that have a cough or a sick. And there are a lot of reasons for a cough. A cough could be anywhere from heart disease to, uh, uh, you know, the uh, heartworm disease, this sort of thing. So there can be a lot of reasons for a dog to cough, just like for us to cough as well. So. Uh, but if you have a cough that persists over a day or so, I definitely would get
1: in to see your vet. All right. Uh, before we take our first break, we've got Beth on the line from Mobile, who says uh, she's had some experience with this new condition. So, Beth, what information can you give to us?
0: This
4: is ironic. I am driving my dog back from the vet because of the cough. Hmm. Um, she, um, she's a rescue, and she's 13 and a half years old, and I'll admit she pulls a lot on the leash. But over the last two weeks, she has been coughing, not from the leash, um, to the point, it looks like she is going to vomit. Um, And she has been a little bit congested. And, and of course, because of her age, that made me, you know, concerned. So, um, basically, it sounds like they gave me the the same advice. I was actually going to board her this weekend, um, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm just not going to go out of town. Um, and, and I know they're saying this isn't responding to antibiotics, but they did give me some antibiotics with something else and also a cost suppressant for her. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this, this, this is scary. And, and I know they said there haven't been any cases in Alabama, but she was in Florida with me a couple of weeks ago and in contact with other dogs.
1: All right. Beth, thanks for calling well, in and adding. This, uh, go, go ahead.
4: This is interesting that y'all are already talking about. <laughs> well,
1: you know, I had seen uh, it. All the
4: way back from the vet.
1: I'd seen it mentioned online and then the other day saw it mentioned again. So that's when I thought that we might want to bring it up and, uh, cause it's, uh, it's very concerning to, you know, our pets are part of our family and this is a, a mysterious illness. So hopefully, uh, research will go on and they'll be able to figure out how to treat it. But Beth, we appreciate your calling in this morning and adding to that uh, bit of our conversation time for our first Kevin, break. And, yeah, go ahead, Dr. Major.
0: Yeah. It is a confusing disease because as I mentioned, there are a lot of reasons why dogs cough and, uh, the diagnostics of this still are up for grabs. So hopefully uh, precaution and not getting in large crowds of dogs, this sort of thing will be a good, good thing to try to avoid.
1: All right. And we will definitely follow up on that. I'll keep my eye out on any information that I see online and uh, Dr. Major, I know that you'll help us out as well. Any, any uh, additional information that comes out in the, in the coming weeks. So we welcome into the conversation, our guest for today, uh, Melissa, thanks for joining us. Um, how long have you been uh, involved in wildlife rehabbing?
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been involved with wildlife rehab now for going on 13 years. Uh, it's been quite a while.
1: What uh, What got you interested in this?
2: Oh, well, I'm a wildlife lover. Um, I think it takes that to an extent. Um, I have actually found a little hatchling turtle many, many years ago, and I did what I'm hoping our uh, listeners will do uh, after today, and I contacted a wildlife rehabber uh, over concerns of a birth defect from the hatchling. And I met um, my late mentor, uh, Valerie Smith, with Mississippi Wildlife Rehabilitation then, and she took in my little sick turtle. And when I visited her to drop off that patient, I just become enthralled with her mission to help wildlife. and that's where it all started. I started asking questions. Val started teaching and um, we formed uh, North Mississippi Mammal Rehabilitation in 2019 after branching off and taking over Mississippi Wildlife Rehab's Mammal Program.
1: So tell us about the, the phone app Animal Help Now. What exactly is that?
2: Yes, that is a wonderful tool, um, and this tool can be used by anyone in the whole world. Um, from coast to coast, um, animalhelpnow.org is uh, available for anyone who has any type of wildlife emergency. Um, you can actually download the animalhelpnow.org app, uh, whether you have an iPhone or an Android. It's available for both, and if you don't have access to download the app, you can also go to the website at ahnow.org and it's very simple Um, at the top field um, there's going to be a place that says the location of emergency and you're going to actually just add in your address and you're going to click that button there that says wildlife emergency and it's in red and it's going to pull up a list of every wildlife rehabber that can assist you near your area and it even gives you an option to pick how far away you want to go and that is for any state um, because state laws um, for wildlife do vary Um, And it will actually pull up each individual rehabilitator or center or volunteer and their information along with what they can and can't help with. So it's a useful tool for anybody who has an emergency 24 hours a day and they can't contact someone or don't know who to call.
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Our guest for this hour is Melissa Gilbert, founder and director of North Mississippi Mammal Rehab. We're going to be talking about uh, what you should do if you come across an animal out in the wild when you're out and about enjoying uh, Mississippi's natural resources, um, and then uh, how to get in touch with a rehabber if that is what is needed. We'll continue our visit with Melissa throughout the hour, but we have another caller on the line. So let's go to Gulfport. Dr. Barrett is called in today. Good morning. What do you have for us this morning?
5: Okay, good morning to you all. I used to live in the Irish Republic for many years, and there was a terrible attack of pit bulls over there in the uh, outskirts of Dublin, and the uh, Irish government decided that these these dogs were too dangerous, and so the dogs have been banned completely from the Irish Republic. I want to know, I have some pit bulls in my area down here, and they are... Uh, every time that I go out somewhere, these dogs are jumping. They're fenced in, but they're they're vicious as hell. And I want to know what is the procedure in Mississippi to ban these dogs or is it by the local county or city or statewide? Can you tell me that?
1: Dr. Major, do you know anything about uh, if there are any bans for pit bulls in Mississippi?
0: Certainly. Uh, Certain cities have, have bans about pit bulls and, uh, And some are enforced very stringently. Others uh, are not. So I don't know about your particular place there. You need to talk with your city government and county government. Uh, Also, if if you're in the county, you need to check with your local sheriff um, to see what uh, regulations that they might have concerning this. But usually, (laughs) excuse me, usually it's a city or county uh, situation.
1: All right. Uh so yeah,
0: that's okay. I just wanted to let you
5: know that these dogs—they attacked a person in Dublin some years ago and tore them off his leg. They—they they run in packs, you know. So there you go. Thank you. I'll—I'll I'll contact the city about this.
1: All right. Today we're visiting with animal rehabber Melissa, or mammal rehabber, I guess more specifically, Melissa Gilbert. Um, so Melissa, I guess different creatures react differently, behave differently when under stress uh, or distress. So how do you uh, how do you go about trying to assess the situation to know what to do if you come across something like that?
2: Well, obviously, your wild animals, whether no matter what type of species it is, um, they have a normal behavior that everybody can recognize, and that's staying away from people. Um, So if you have an animal uh, that's either in your yard, on the side of the road, at a business, and it's behaving abnormally, which means it is a little too comfortable around human presence. Um, If there's any obvious injuries, um, bleeding, open wounds, um, there may be a presence of um, flies that will give you an indication there might be a wound somewhere. Um, You may see a broken or hanging wing on a bird. You may see exposed bone even on an animal that has a severe injury from, say, a car strike. Um, and each animal is going to be very stressed to be around humans, but sometimes if they're sick with things like distemper, um, they may not be, uh, they may not be normal. They may not be behaving normally. So being close to humans and not being able to get up to move away when a human approaches a wild animal is the first indication that something's wrong. And a lot of people think, oh, well, I saw a raccoon out during the daytime, or I saw this animal. In mammals, out during the daytime, and that does not necessarily mean that that mammal needs assistance. It could be the type of it could be the season. It could be the type of species it is. Um, there's a lot of reasons why. Mostly, it's just because during the daytime they are out foraging for food for themselves and their young at certain times of the year. So it does, it does vary greatly um, from, from species to species on what type of help they might need. And that's why it's always best to reach out to a wildlife rehabber as soon as you possibly can, even if you don't know for sure, and get some advice from somebody who might be able to help you.
1: You know, some, some of these animals that you might come across might put, put, uh, pose a danger, you know, uh, like, for instance, Absolutely. Uh, birds of prey. So let's talk about those for just a few minutes. Uh, If you come across a baby bird of prey, what's the course of action that you should do there?
0: Well,
2: first off, you want to find out whether it's a a nestling or a fledgling. Um, And because different species of birds um, develop differently, you have to look at the feathers. Um, if, If it's a nestling, it's not going to have any feathers or very many at all. And they're going to probably need to be returned to the nest. Um, so you would want to definitely reach out to a wildlife rehabber as soon as possible if you have a question of whether or not it is a nestling or a fledgling. Your fledglings are going to be well feathered, and fledglings are learning critical behaviors and vocalizations from their parents, and they're oftentimes able to hop around a little bit, and some that are a tad bit older might be able to get a little bit of flight, but they're just not strong enough yet. So it's telling the difference between the two, um, and we go from there.
1: Should you be cautious when seeing a young uh, animal, uh, for perhaps because the uh, the uh, the, uh, the adult bird or animal might be around and that could get you into a little bit of an issue there?
2: Um, as far as finding one?
1: Right. If you come across a baby creature, should you be a little um, bit more concerned in case the parent is around somewhere?
2: Oh, absolutely. That's the first thing you're going to be directed to do when you call. The, one of the first questions will be, or the parents near and if it's a if it's a fledgling or a nestling and it's fallen out especially the fledglings the parents are going to be tending to the young and they're going to be from afar doing that so the best thing to do um, if you were to stumble across one would be to step back away a, a good ways away from where that baby's located and observe only um, give that mom and that dad space to come into the location to feed. And if they are not present and you do not see them coming to care for that baby on the ground, then you would you would definitely want to get further direction from a wildlife rehabber for what to do.
1: And then uh, an adult bird of prey, again, I guess very cautious when you would approach something like that.
2: Absolutely. Um, if you are to encounter what you know to be an adult bird of prey, whether it's an owl or a you know, it could be any kind of bird of prey. You do want to be very cautious about um, helping to rescue them if that's what you're directed to do. Um, and if you're comfortable with that, anytime you're performing any kind of rescue for wildlife, especially with raptors as well, you want to always make sure you put yourself on the top for safety. Um, and you want to take extreme caution with that. And if you are in doubt, give us a call. Um, we, you know, we can obviously direct you over to the avian, um, avian rehabbers to help with directions on how to rescue. Um, but you do want to make sure to protect yourself um, at all times if you are going to have to perform any kind of rescue for them. And you can look for the same signs that they need help, um, typically with your adult birds of prey um they are they are subject to a lot of car strikes we see we see a lot of those that i get a lot of calls that i forward over to mississippi wildlife for that and um if you if you see anything anything out of the ordinary with them especially if you approach that bird and it does not take flight and try to leave the area um, any um, hanging or low low down feathers one's offset from the other bleeding open wounds Um, Those types of things need uh, immediate attention, and most of the time, people are comfortable with helping us to perform rescue for animals that need assistance, but if you're unsure, always call and ask and get directions, because we're happy to help with that.
1: Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and today our guest is Melissa Gilbert, of North Mississippi Mammal Rehab. So, Melissa, we were talking before the break about uh, coming across an injured bird. And the idea is maybe you really need to uh, assess the situation from a safe distance uh, before maybe trying to get in touch with someone to figure out what to do. And I would imagine that with a mammal, it's uh, somewhat similar, but are there some differences in the approach when it comes to a mammal versus a bird?
2: Uh, Most definitely. There is one major difference. The rest is all the same. Um, with all species, you can kind of usually tell when something's arrayed or not normal. Um, you Definitely the main thing is with all wildlife in different states, there are different laws. So if you're listening from Mississippi, then you know pretty much what you can encounter here as far as who to get help from now, since we've all discussed all of that. But if you're in other states and you're using the Animal Help Now app, um, you may pull up a few rehabbers that are in other states that border you. Um, mammals, um, the Federal Lacey Act uh, says that we keep we keep the mammals in within state lines, so you can't cross state lines from Alabama to Mississippi or vice versa. Um, your reptiles are the same way, but with birds, birds uh, are federally protected, so they have a different uh, type of permit, um, so they can be transferred. Uh, for instance over to Tennessee, uh, from Mississippi, and back and forth in different states. So that is one of the main differences when you look at um, avian species versus your reptiles and your mammals. Um, otherwise, um, you definitely still want to keep, number one, a safety for yourself um, uh, at all times, um, protecting yourself and make sure you're safe if you're on the roadway um, and find an injured mammal. Make sure you're, you've got your flashers on if it's nighttime or if it's foggy. Um, make sure your people can see you um, make sure out of the roadway where you're safe protect yourself if you are comfortable with helping to capture the animal and i can tell you m- most of the time with us all being volunteers and they're not being very many rehabbers in the state when someone does call needing assistance with any wildlife them helping get the animal contained is very 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 helpful for us because sometimes we don't have the resources to go you know, several hours away to do a rescue. Um, So that's why it's so important that we um, have people call us and tell us what's going on and how we can assist them via phone to get that animal captured.
1: Uh, Let's touch a little bit about uh, reptiles. Uh, On the surface, they don't seem to be as expressive as our dogs and cats do. So how can you tell if they're distressed? And this might be helpful for even people who have uh, reptiles as pets.
2: Right. Pets and wildlife, obviously, is they are very similar, but for an animal that's a pet, that's domesticated, um, that you're keeping, you, if you're you always observing uh, that, that, that animal, especially reptiles, too. So you would know by abnormal behavior from your beloved pet if there was a problem. But with wildlife, it is a little bit more difficult, especially with reptiles, because they're not as expressive, as you say. Um, A lot of the times when I do get calls on my hotline for reptiles, um, it's typically um, they're found on the roadway. They're flipped over on their shell, at the top of their shell, or they're on the roadway and they have obvious car strike injuries. That's what we see the most of or I see the most of on my hotline. Of course, I do refer those reptile calls out. But, um, you know, there's going to be some obvious signs of injury. Typically, if there's no signs of injury, then it's likely that it's fine or or illness.
1: So um, in the process, should should someone who comes across injured wildlife ever try to do any sort of first aid to the animal?
2: We don't advise any kind of first aid or unless it's directly from a licensed wildlife rehabber and typically they're just going to give you the directions all across the board for wildlife and that's put it in a quiet, dark environment away from domesticated animals and children and lots of noise and visual stimulation because that really stresses them out further. Um, you want to make sure um, to reach out to that rehabber. I keep going back to that. <laughs> um So, yes, um, definitely reaching out to us is going to be your best bet um, indefinitely to get that advice.
1: And I would imagine the earlier in the whole process you try to find a rehabber, the better it is because that gives you, as the rehabber, more information and a a better way to make a more informed advice to who's calling you.
2: That's exactly right. The more details that can be given to us about the animal's disposition, the better. Um, and one thing I did want to note is um, if you do find an animal, especially our box turtles here in the state, please drop a pin on your phone for the GPS coordinates and exact location for that animal because we really need to be able to return that animal back to the wild once it's rehabilitated and they, are, they have to be returned back to their location they were found. And it's a good information to know for all wildlife for many reasons, which could be what you guys discussed earlier with our domesticated dogs with disease outbreaks, um, things like that. It's very good to know where these patients are coming from. So do drop a pin um, or an exact location where that animal was found if you do transport it off of the site. That way we know where it came from. Um, And that's just a super helpful note I wanted to make into that. And any wildlife you find, we ask that you please do not feed it or give it anything by mouth. No food, no water. Um, Each animal has a um, species-specific diet, and their nutritional requirements vary per species. Um, And it really sets back the rehab start and process when they're given an incorrect diet, and it also hinders that process in the beginning. If they're not doing well, they don't need to be intaking any fluids or food.
1: Looks like we might have another question for Dr. Major, and it comes from Kent, who calls in from Mobile. Good morning, Kent. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
0: Uh, Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I was wondering how this uh, coughing disease is transmitted from one animal to the next. Is it airborne and uh, transmitted that way, or is it strictly through uh, physical contact um, one of the uh, sorry, a secondary question to that is: At a groomer, uh, are are the tools that the groomer uses uh, could they be a potential uh, area for uh, contamination, or or even just the environment of the groomer's uh, space? Those are good questions. Certainly, uh, I would suspect that this can be spread through the cough, actually a cough airborne, uh, but also uh, through fomites or individual items such as water bowls, uh, utensils, kennels. All of these should be, should be very diligently cleaned uh, with good sanitizer. Uh, that's probably one of the ways that it's spread. I suspect some contact, uh, but it's also possible this to be spread through a cough and not even touching you know the other dog so yes i would say caution until we know more about this disease and more about uh how it spread and if there is a treatment other than antibody
2: now dr Major i have a question here in the back um so you know at the beginning of the pandemic we all we we tried to treat it you know hands off as much as possible before we knew much about it is that something similar that the vets will do
0: I think the vets will have to make their own decision based on what they see. Vets are not shutting their practices down uh, because of this. And uh, I would say that isolation would be very important uh, with dogs that are showing symptoms. Uh, And, uh, you know, okay, one of the recommendations is, like, rather than boarding, try to find a house sitter or somebody that you can have come check on your animals. Uh, If you're gone out of town, because certainly in a boarding situation, chances are that it could be spread from dog to dog and at the groomer as well. All
1: right, Kenta, thanks for the call. Good question. And again, uh, I would say, Dr. Major, too, because it's so much is unknown at this point. It could be airborne. It could be, you know, there are a number of different ways that it could be uh, spread. And so extra caution uh, until there's more information and, and, and we can kind of zone in on uh, what causes it. And then that could be uh, more uh, specific um, guidelines for how to how to treat it, I guess.
0: Exactly. That's right.
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today we're visiting with Melissa Gilbert from North Mississippi Mammal Rehab, talking about what you should do if you come across injured wildlife and would like to try to help them out. Uh, so, Melissa, talk. Uh, I think you had mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago that you want to try to get the creature in kind of a dark space, maybe a box, something that uh, not a lot of overstimulation uh, from the surrounding environment. Uh, can What about when it comes to trying to transport the animal maybe to where the rehabber is located? What are some tips about that?
2: Well, definitely the most important is safety for yourself and then containing that animal safely because you do not want it to be free in your vehicle, especially while you're driving. So getting something that is secure for that animals to go into, such as a box that's secured uh, at the top, um, is you know even a, even a Rubbermaid container that has a lid is appropriate as long as it has a place to breathe. Um, we definitely recommend uh, keeping that radio turned off um, and keeping the noise level to a minimum. You know, being on your cell phone, talking on your phone, especially over your Bluetooth on your on your phone in your car. Um, Those are all things you can do. And obviously, you don't want to handle or touch that animal. uh, Once it's placed in the box, do not try to reopen the box. Um, Sometimes they can pop out pretty quickly. And if you don't know what to anticipate from something, you might not know what you might get. Um, So just once you close that box down, just bring it straight on over to a rehabber as soon as possible.
1: So what about the size? I mean, what if it's an animal that you think is too big for you to transport somewhere? In that case, can sometimes the rehabber come on site to uh, aid?
2: Yes, we perform rescue, and we do that based off of the call and what type of animal it is. Obviously, if it is a larger animal, especially mammals, because they do get pretty big, um, we can come out and assist with rescues. It just varies greatly on the season. Um, during baby season it's kind of difficult to get out but we do our very best to try to make um, the person who's found that animal comfortable and also get that animal to help it needs as quickly as possible so if that means it's going out on location to do that transport and we're happy to do that if we're able to we will.
1: Um, in addition to trying to find a rehabber would it be advisable when someone comes across an injured animal to contact well here in Mississippi the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks?
2: Absolutely, they are a resource as well, especially if they don't, they can't find anybody else. So they're, good, that's a good place to start. Um, our Department of Wildlife is who issues our permits for rehabbers here in the state. Um, so yes, they could absolutely call Department of Wildlife, especially where deer are concerned. Our, our white-tailed deer, um, and chronic wasting disease has become a growing issue here in Mississippi. And because of that, in 2019, we were mandated that we cannot rehab a white-tailed deer farm. So if there is a call for a deer phone, we as we rehab restrict all of those calls to the Department of Wildlife for that reason, because we cannot rehab them and they assist the callers.
1: We do have a caller on the line, so we say good morning this time to Rebecca, who's called in from Florida, I think. Good morning, Rebecca. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning.
4: Um, hey, I usually carry gloves and masks with me anyway, but y'all got me to think that. Um Maybe we need to do some self protection when we rescue animals. Uh, uh, are there diseases that we can catch
0: depending
1: on what we rescue So Melissa, if you're if you're someone that's uh you know concerned about this, is the idea of the gloves and the goggles maybe not a bad idea to have in your car?
2: Absolutely. um we we actually have um, information for how to put together a wildlife rescue kit. Um, so having some sort of protection in your vehicle at all times is never a bad idea. You never know when you're going to encounter something that needs help. So being prepared is be your first step to getting that animal help and keeping yourself safe, too. So I suggest just making sure you have an additional extra flashlight that has batteries in it that is um, good to work at night. Um, keeping any kind of protection for your hands, a good set of welding gloves, a heavy-duty set of gardening gloves. Um, It would also be helpful to keep a sheet in your car, something, a a larger blanket, towels. Um, All of those things are very helpful tools to um, assist us and yourself when you find wildlife in need. So definitely keeping those in the car is a very good idea.
1: All right. uh, Thanks for the call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Next, we're going to go to Pearl. Keith has called in today. Keith, you're on the air with us. Go ahead.
5: I I apologize for coming into the show late, but I just had an opportunity to get in my vehicle and turn the radio on. Has there been any of the coughing
0: disease in Mississippi
1: yet, uh, Doctor Major? I think the answer to that is no. Am I correct?
0: Probably, probably no at this point. However, with it as widespread as it is, it's only a matter of time until we do see it. And we may have seen cases and have not been officially diagnosed. You know, as the mystery disease is what they're calling it right now. Still. Mm-hmm. But it is a respiratory disease that certainly bears close watching and I think some improved maybe uh, procedures with our pets as far as in groups uh, and uh, that sort of thing. So I I would say let's keep it attuned to the news and talk to your vet about it as well.
1: Yeah, Keith, uh, just to give you an idea, earlier we had talked about where it's been found, and it is a, a nationwide problem. Uh, it's been found in California, Colorado, Oregon, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts, and cases reported also in Florida, Idaho, Indiana, Illinois, and Georgia. So I don't know that there's any part of the country uh, that is immune to this now. So again, we're going to keep our eye on this uh, story uh, and report on it and creature comforts uh, as as new, develops, uh, new developments uh, warrant. So uh, stay tuned, everyone, and we'll try to keep you up to date on this because this really is you know this is scary As we said our pets are part of our family and when something like this comes along we're not sure where it comes from or whatever it's uh, it can be a scary time for dog owners so just some extra vigilance uh, until we kind of figure out what's going on i think is the is the proper recommendation there so keith thank you uh, for your call Today we're visiting on Creature Comforts with um, Melissa Gilbert from North Mississippi Mammal Rehab. Melissa, a couple of minutes ago we were talking about um, transporting an animal uh, and size is involved. What about, are there any animals that you would recommend kind of not really even approaching at all? I'm thinking of something along the lines of an alligator or a boar. would be correct. Um, I, w-
2: I would definitely reach out to the Department of Wildlife for a- for, for those two, or reach out to a rehabber immediately, um, and they can direct you on what to do. Um, we Up in our part of the state, up here in the north, we don't have as much of an issue with those, with those animals needing rehabilitation, but for other listeners that live in the central and southern parts, they may encounter that. So absolutely, definitely give someone a call before you even approach the animal at all.
1: If you would, tell us a little bit more about North Mississippi Mammal Rehab.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, We are located in DeSoto County, Mississippi. So we're the very top northwestern county of the state, and we cover the north part of the state. Um, We do specialize in mammal care and rescue and rehabilitation. We are a volunteer nonprofit organization as well. Um, We've been established since, like I said, since 2019, um, and we service our communities um, through education about wildlife. Um, we do programs for children and adults alike, and um, we stay active in the community for uh, anything that's anything related to wildlife coexistence questions. Uh, we're always available on our hotline for those, um, our email as well. Um, and we're just blessed and happy to be a part of the wildlife community here in Mississippi, um, and we're here anytime anybody ever needs us for anything for wildlife.
1: So I would imagine that the ultimate goal is to to get the animal back into the wild is that correct
2: absolutely that is our number one goal Um, we when we get animals in for rehabilitation our goal is to put them back out uh, to the wild where they belong Uh, sometimes that can take a matter of a day or two and it can take many months It just depends on the animal's disposition Um, and so our ultimate goal is to return them to the wild
1: Um, if that's not possible would a zoo possibly be a, a destination
2: It is very difficult. Um, We uh, here at NMMR have transferred uh, four different species to uh, Memphis Zoo that's located in Tennessee. Um, Those are very special circumstances. Um, It requires a lot of extra paperwork and permissions to get that done and also the facility receiving has to have space and availability for that animal to go into care for them. Um, Typically if an animal cannot be returned to the wild, um, we and a lot of them have very poor dispositions, humane euthanasia is, is definitely recommended, um, especially with injuries being severe. Um, we do try to work with places like that when we can, but our options are a little limited on that end.
1: All right um just got about 30 seconds left just a reminder that uh, if you're listening this morning and you're out and about uh, the great state of mississippi and you come across something that you don't know what it is maybe an animal of some sort uh, if you have your smartphone with you if you could just take a quick picture of it and send it to us we'll always do our best to try to help you figure out what exactly it is so melissa thanks very much Uh, do you have a website by chance
2: Um, We are on Facebook, so you can search us by uh, looking up North Mississippi Mammal Rehab. Um, We are available there and monitor the page regularly, so that's where we advise everybody to go for information.
1: All right, very good. Thanks for joining us this morning. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, with funding provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show was produced by Abram Nanny. and our call screener this morning was Charles Arnold. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Melissa Gilbert, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned, because up next, it's AutoCorrect. And we'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.